Good morning, everybody. Row's already falling asleep right here in the front row. Thanks for that, Row. Appreciate that. So I was, uh, I was having a conversation with, uh, with someone this week. I honestly don't even remember who it was. But I was, we were talking about back when I was in high school. And they asked me how long ago that was. And after counting all my fingers and taking off my shoes, and I, I just was doing some high math, you know, because I, I started to realize, like, how long ago that really was. And so I, I eventually figured out what the answer was, and then I was like, wow, that was a long time ago. So I graduated from high school in 1988, which is, I believe, 34 years ago, okay? And I was like, how is that even possible that it's been 34 years um, so anyways, that was, that was quite a moment, but, but I was thinking about this. So when I graduated from high school, I, I went to church here at West Valley Christian Church. Uh, our school here had a high school at the time, so I graduated from West Valley Christian High School. Um, and so at the age of 17, I graduated and I moved into what we at the time called our college group. And so I was in the college group uh, at the church, and honestly, that's where I met most of the people that are still the closest friends in my life. That's where I met my wife. And so a lot of, a lot of great things uh, happened in that ministry. Uh, but one of the guys that I met was a guy named Ralph. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, his name isn't really Ralph, okay? I'm using the name Ralph because I, I didn't get permission from this person, Ralph, uh, to, to share you know, about his life. And so I thought there's just enough people around here still. I, I better not. So anyway, so we're going with Ralph this morning. But anyway, I met this guy, Ralph. And um, he came to our Bible study, and Ralph was just a happy guy. Like, he was so full of life. Like, he would show up, and, and he'd be there in a room, and he just had this big old smile, and he loved to surf, and he just, he loved outdoors. He just loved life. And he came uh, with his girlfriend at the time, and so they both came. They, they went through our study. They both got baptized. Like, they were just really sweet and nice people. He just always had a smile. He was always willing to help. What a servant he was. And so, you know, life goes on. And so Ralph and his girlfriend got married. They started having children. Just a pleasant person to be around. And, and so in 1997, I left West Valley and went and was a youth pastor at another church for almost six years. And then in 2004, I came back to be the youth pastor here at West Valley. And, and so when I came back, I remember running into Ralph, and I hadn't seen him much in the last five or six years, but I ran into him, and I was having a conversation with him, and I realized Ralph was not the same guy that I used to know. And, and I don't know what happened to him, but, but Ralph was, was much more sullen. He was much more serious. He, he didn't seem to have a smile on his face anymore. And so one Sunday, I was having a conversation with him. And when that conversation ended, I remember thinking to myself, man, I don't know what happened to him, but I know, I hope whatever happened to him never happens to me. You know, like, like this just was not the same person. This guy that was so bubbly and so full of life just seemed like he'd had life squeezed out of him. And I don't really know what happened. I never figured out what happened. I have some ideas. You know, but, but his story isn't that unusual. Sometimes where once we're optimistic, we experience a few things, and we get a little negative. 
and we get a little pessimistic. Where once you saw the good in people, you experience people, and you begin to take a different view. And again, I don't know what changed, but it really scared me because he was such a happy guy. And I don't really want to dwell on this too long, but just so you guys know, at a certain point in my life, I began to face challenges to my joy, things that were trying to rob me of my joy. And and if I'm being completely open with you guys, there came a time in my life where I went from what I would say was thriving to a time where I was just barely trying to survive. Like I went from thriving to just trying to survive. And, And fortunately for me, as I worked through those difficult times in my life, there were some things that I had working for me. Number one, I knew that the difficulties that I was facing were not God's fault. Okay, like I recognized, now don't get me wrong, man, I blamed some people, okay? Okay, I blamed some other people. There were times where I blamed myself, but I always knew it was not God's fault. It was not God's fault what was happening in my life. And so I'm so grateful that there was never a time of me being bitter at him because it's so easily that we let that happen. So I had that going for me. I was very fortunate. I have a wonderful and patient wife, okay? Like, she's very wonderful, very patient. She put up with me for, for a couple of years where I was, some of you would say 30 years, but uh, <laughs> she put up with me for, honestly, a couple of years where I was difficult to be married to and difficult to put up with. And she's still patient with me today. But um, I also have two sons, and my sons, I, I don't want to compare my sons to anybody else's children. I'm sure you all love your children but I just love my children so much, and I'm so grateful for the joy that they bring me in my life, and especially during that time. <clears throat> I also have lots of great family and friends that were there during those, during those difficult times. And, and, and so the truth is, that period of my life changed me. I was never as happy as Ralph, Okay, I was never that happy about anything. Okay, let me be clear about this. But that period of my life changed me. And, and honestly, I, I'm not the same person I was back then. And in most days, I prefer who I used to be. Because that time in my life changed me, my heart, it changed my mind. And I just know that I'm not the same person. No matter how hard I try, it's just not there. And so I do my best. And I had not, I, like I said, I'd seen Ralph, and I didn't want that to happen to me. And in some ways, you know, a little bit of it did happen. And so I shared with you all this before, but it was during that time in life when I was riding, driving to work every day, and there were some passages of Scripture that really were impactful to me and really meaningful to me. And honestly, you know, sometimes we talk about Scripture or you have verses and, and, and I, you know, I don't know, I'm just saying these three passages I clung to every single day and every single morning. And so as I got in my truck and I drove to work, I, I've told you this before, I would, I would say them out loud. There was like, a, I would say it out loud. It was like a prayer. It was something I'd walk through in my mind what they meant, what they were saying. And so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. 
And so that verse is telling me, man, my job is to trust in him. Because at the end, he talks about straightening out my paths. But what that means is right now, as I'm struggling to trust in him, the, the, the road is kind of windy. And the road is kind of in a place where you can't see what's coming up around the next corner. And, and my job was to trust in him. And so I would pray that verse as I was driving with my eyes open. I would pray and I would just say, Lord, help me to trust you today. I don't see the straight road ahead of me, but trust, let me, help me to trust you that you are straightening out those things for me. So that was one of the verses that I would pray. Another one was Proverbs 4.23, and it's going to say it a little differently on the screen, but I memorized it. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And so after praying to help me trust in him, I'd say, Lord, protect my heart. Because it's so easy for us to have our hearts grow cold and our, and our hearts grow dim and allow those things to just take us away. And so I pray, Lord, protect my heart. Help me to be careful about the way I let my mind think. Help me to be careful about the things that I put into my mind. And so I would pray that each and every day. And then Proverbs 10, verse 9, which is, again is going to say it a little differently on the screen, but the NIV version that I memorized it, and it says, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. And so I went to work at a job where, where I, they, knew, they all knew I used to be a pastor, that I was a pastor. And, and I knew, whether I liked it or not, they were watching me. Okay? I knew that they were watching me. And so even though I wasn't interested in that role for them, you know, I was like, they're watching me. Lord, help me to be a person of integrity so that when these people look at me, somehow they still see you. Also, I was praying that prayer because I was like, Lord, just because that's not, you know, that's not where I'm at in my life right now, help me not to do anything stupid, okay, because I'm prone to those things. And so, you don't have to be so excited about that, Anthony. But I honestly was praying just that the Lord would help me to continue to be a person of integrity. And also in the end, because I know that verse says, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. The reality is we think we're getting away with something. We're never getting away with anything. There's always consequences to our poor choices, whether anybody knows about them or not. And so those are the verses, along with the people in my life, that I clung to during those times. I've also been a, long, I've been a long-time fan of country music. And sometimes Pastor Rob apologizes for being a fan of country music. And he talks about people taking away his man card because he likes country music. I feel like that's why we would give him one, okay, because he likes country music. But anyway, one of my favorite guys is Tim McGraw. Ever since I heard, don't take the girl in Indian Outlaw, which may not be appropriate anymore, but anyway, those, ever since I heard those songs, I was like, I love this guy. Anyway, in 2001, he came out with this song, and uh, the words of this song really resonate in my heart and my mind. Now, it's called Cowboy in Me. I know there is nothing in me that's a cowboy, okay? I have no cowboy abilities. I don't even own a pair of boots, I have a cowboy hat that has never been worn, okay? And so I know I'm not a cowboy, but just bear with me. The song goes like this. Oh, let me, I'm going to play the guitar for you just for a moment. And just kidding, I can't play the guitar. <laughs> this morning we had Megan dance, and, and then it's playing. The, I was like, the only thing I do worse than sing is dance. The only thing I do worse than dance would be if I try to play the guitar. So anyway, 
His song goes like this, though. He says, I don't know why I act the way I do, like I ain't got a single thing to lose. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. I guess that's just the cowboy in me. I got a life that most would love to have, but sometimes I still wake up fighting mad. And where this road I'm heading down might lead, I guess that's just the cowboy in me. The urge to run, the restlessness, the heart of stone I sometimes get, the things I've done for foolish pride, the me that's never satisfied, the face that's in the mirror when I don't like what I see, I guess that's just the cowboy in me. And, and there's more to the song, but there's two lines in there that really resonate with me every single time I hear this song. Because it says, I got a life that most would love to have, but sometimes I still wake up fighting mad. I didn't used to be like this, but that line does describe who I am now. And I'm not happy about it. Like, honestly, one of the best things for me was having to work on this sermon and prepare this sermon. I complain a lot about what Pastor Rob has me preach on, okay? But this one was when I'm like, oh, man, I really needed that. You know, my wife every day will say, hey, have a great day. And I'll be like, Bleh, you know, whatever. Normally, my response is whatever. And I'll say, well, I'll just try to have an okay day, all right? I'm like, you can't, or I'll say, you can't make me have a great day, okay? And so that's generally how I respond. But unfortunately, really, there are a lot of days where I wake up and I just go, oh. And yet I know there isn't any reason for that. Because when I look at my life, there's so many wonderful things. And yet I still wake up with that grumpy, negative attitude. And so we've been talking about this idea of a double blessing. And as we talk about this idea of a double blessing, the reality is the double blessing is this. God has blessed us. You guys know that you've been blessed by God? Okay, we have been blessed by God, but we have not been blessed by God just so that we can be comfortable. Okay, we haven't been blessed by God just so we can have what we want. God has blessed us so that we can bless others. Okay, that's the idea of a double blessing. God doesn't give it to us so we can hoard the blessing. God blesses us so that we can bless other people in our life. Anytime you read through the Bible, Anytime you see someone that has any kind of privilege at all, and I'm going to talk about this more next week, but anytime you see someone who has any kind of privilege at all, it always comes with responsibility. There are always responsibilities that come along with having privilege. And so today we're going to talk about being grateful, being grateful to God, giving thanks to God for the blessings in our lives. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 17. If you don't have one, the words will be up on the screen here. And he says this, now this story, this almost sounds like a parable, okay, because quite often Jesus in his parables, he, he uses the outsiders to be the heroes. And so this story, it's a true story, but it almost reads like a parable. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. If you know anything about leprosy, you know that these guys would have been outsiders. They weren't accepted in their social you know, classes. And so they were kept away, kept on the outside. They stood at a distance like they were supposed to. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. 
Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The, the first thing I want us to notice about this passage is this. Is you know what? When life is hard, and for these ten lepers, life was hard. When life is hard, the first thing that we need to do is we need to cry out to Jesus. We need to cry out to him because he is the only one that can help us. Okay? Like, like as you read through scripture, this guy is not, or these ten lepers are not the only ones we read about who are crying out to Jesus. Like they know that, that somebody must have told them Jesus was coming by. And they're like, Jesus, have pity on us. Because they know he's the only one that can help them. You know, in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 22, there's a story about a Canaanite woman, another foreigner. So the Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffers te- and suffering terribly. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Sounds kind of uncaring and uncompassionate for Jesus. Says the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. She said, she's throwing herself at her feet. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Okay? And then she says, yes, it is, Lord. Okay, she disagrees with Jesus. And he seems to agree with her. Because she says, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Her daughter is suffering, and she cries out to Jesus. And Jesus does something about it. In Matthew chapter 17, we're not going to read it, but the story of a father who comes to Jesus. And he doesn't tell us that he cries out, but it says that he kneels down before Jesus. Like he is, he is coming before Jesus in all humility. He's like, I got nothing left. I'm throwing myself at your feet because he's asking for help for his son. But then in Mark chapter 10, of which there's a very similar story in, in Luke. It's probably the same story, just told from a different viewpoint. In Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46, it says, Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I bet he was screaming it a little louder than I just read it. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I love this story for so many reasons. Number one, these guys are crying out. They're screaming out. Like, imagine this guy screaming out to Jesus. Imagine him screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And there's people telling him to be quiet, like, shh, shh, you're in church. Hold it down, you know, or whatever. Like, they're, they're trying to get him to calm down. And yet he's screaming even louder. Why? Because he knows who Jesus is. He's heard of this Jesus. And he knows that Jesus is the only one that can help him. He knows that Jesus is the only one that can fix his problem. And no matter how much people want him to be quiet, he's not going to be. He's going to scream even louder. 
What he doesn't know and how what he couldn't know is this literally is the last time Jesus was passing by. This was the last time Jesus was coming through town. If he had listened to them, if he had just been quiet, he would have died blind. And yet he didn't listen and he was screaming, crying out for Jesus and Jesus healed him. In our lives, we, as we go through situations, we need to be crying out to Jesus. Unfortunately, like these stories that we read this morning, unfortunately, everything doesn't always work out. Everything doesn't always go our way. Our sight isn't always restored. Our hearing isn't always restored. Our sicknesses aren't always healed. And yet our job is still to cry out to him in those times. Secondly, the second thing that we learn from the story of Luke chapter 17 is this. Is, you know, God's blessings come with obedience. God's blessings come with obedience. And Pastor Rob talked about this. This is what his whole sermon was about last week, was about the importance of obedience. But I think it's important for us to think about it again today. Because you know what? If you have spent any time reading your Bible... You know that it says, and you see the examples of it time and time again, you see God rewarding obedience. And if you've read your Bible, you know, and you've read through it, and you've seen that God also punishes disobedience. And if you've never read your Bible before, let me tell you, that's the case. Okay? <laughs> like, like, like you, I want you to read it for yourself, but that's the reality. As you read through Scripture, God, God blesses obedience God punishes disobedience. And so the question I have for myself is, why am I so ignorant that I think my life is going to be different? Like, why do I think I'm ever going to get away with anything? Okay? Like, even if nobody knows what I'm doing wrong, even if nobody knows what my mind is thinking, and I think I'm, I'm never going to get away with anything, because God always knows. And what we know in Scripture is that God blesses obedience and so I think about the story in Luke chapter 17. You know, Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest. And maybe he's telling them to show themselves to the priest because, you know, that priest in the Old Testament, he was like a butcher preparing the sacrifices. He was also like a doctor. Like if you read some of that Old Testament stuff, like everybody who got a rash or a skin disease or something on your scalp, you had to go show yourself to the priest and decide if it was clean or unclean. Thank God for the New Testament. Okay? Like... Like, man, sometimes you, I think it's hard as a pastor. I couldn't imagine that. Is this, is this contagious, pastor? Like, no, thank you. Okay? But, but Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest. And it is interesting because I think Jesus is just testing them a little bit. He's just testing them a little bit. Because, of course, Jesus could have healed them right then and there. He could have said a few words, I heal thee. And they would have been healed. He could have raised his hands. He could have lowered his hands. He could have put them sideways. He could have done anything with his hands, and he could have healed them. He could have just nodded his head. He could have winked. He could have done anything, and he would have healed them. But instead, he told them to do something. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. And I think that's important. It's significant because it says, as they were going, they were healed. Imagine if these 10 lepers had heard the words of Jesus, they'd been disappointed that he didn't heal them, and they said, well, that was our last shot, and they went home. Imagine if they didn't go to the priest like Jesus told them to do. I believe if they had walked home, they would have died a leper, every single one of them. If they walked home instead of going to the priest, they would have died as lepers. We have, we have no reason to believe that all 10 of them weren't healed because they went to the priest like Jesus told them to, or were on their way, and he heals them. 
God is calling us to that same kind of obedience today. We don't have time to look at it. One of Pastor Rob's favorite stories is in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's the story of Naaman, another person who had leprosy. And the prophet of Israel tells him to go dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. And he's disgusted by that because the Jordan River is dirty. It is dingy. And it's not somewhere you want to dip yourself even once. And he's a great soldier. And he's thinking, let me do something great for the Lord, and surely then the Lord will heal me. But he's told to do this humbling thing of dipping himself seven times. And he's angry and doesn't want to do it. Eventually, read the story for yourself, he goes and he dips himself seven times in the Jordan River. And his leprosy is taken away. You know, if he'd have dipped himself five times, he'd have still been a leper. Six times, he'd have still been a leper. Seven times, he was obedient. And God took it away. Jesus wants us. God wants us to cry out to him in our times of need. But he also expects us to be obedient, to do what he tells us to do. James chapter 1, verse 22 says it pretty simply. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. We can sit in church every Sunday, listen to sermons every week, be told what the Bible says, and if we don't do it, if we don't obey God's word, we are simply deceiving ourselves, as James says. In, for, in John 15, verses 9 and 10, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, now remain in my love. How do we do that? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so part of loving Jesus is being obedient to him. Like we shouldn't expect God's blessings when we're trying to do things our own way. And so it's also important, last week Pastor Rob finished his sermon by talking about the passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Because it's important as we talk about obedience to also remind ourselves about God's grace. Because no matter how hard we try to be obedient, we're going to fail and we're going to fall short. And that's where we cling to God's grace and the hope that we have because of that. The last thing about Luke chapter 17 that I want us to think about is this, is that praise and thanksgiving ought to be our response to God's blessing. Praise and thanksgiving ought to be our response. Only one of the 10 came back to express their gratitude. And like I said earlier, we have every reason to believe that they were all healed, but only one came back to thank Jesus for what he did. And so that wasn't the only disease that he was healed of. He was also probably healed of the disease of ingratitude. Uh, in a book entitled Double Blessing, where this sermon series uh, ideas came from, Mark Patterson, Patterson writes this, There's a wide variety of well-substantiated studies have found that gratitude increases patience, decreases depression, replenishes willpower, and reduces stress. It doesn't just lengthen life, it improves the quality of life. And if you want a good night's sleep, don't count sheep, count your blessings. You know, as followers of Christ, we have so many things to be grateful for. But the thing we have most to be grateful for is what Jesus has done for us. You know, each week we take communion. Every week we at this church, we take communion. Why? Because it's a reminder of what we have to be grateful for, that Jesus paid the price for our sins. It's a reminder that his body was broken and his blood was shed so that you and I could be forgiven. And so each week it's a reminder to us of the commitment that we've made to follow him. It's also a time for us to be grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Because without what Jesus did, I would still be on the outside looking in. And so this morning I encourage you, I challenge you to say thank you to Jesus for what he's done. 
in Romans chapter 6, verses 18 through 23. We don't have time to read the whole passage. But at the end of it, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Like we were prisoners to sin. And that sin brings death. But it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're to thank God and give glory to God for saving us. Do that today as we take communion, as we think about what Jesus did for us. There's a couple other scriptures that I, I want to, we're not going to read through the whole ones that might show up on the screen, but, but in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Psalm 107, verse 1 says the exact same thing. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, I, I don't know where you all are at today. I don't know if you're someone that is thriving. I don't know if you're someone that's just surviving. I don't know if you're somewhere in between there. But I know what God wants for us today is true for each one of us. He wants us right where we're at to cry out to him. He wants us to cry out to him, commit to living for him. And then to be thankful. Like even in the midst of the most difficult times, we can find reasons to thank God for what he's done. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you don't give up on us. I thank you that you are far more patient than we are, far more gracious than we are, far more loving than we ever could be. And so I pray, Lord, I pray especially for those that are here today, Lord, that just want to scream out and cry out to you right now. I pray that, that you would be near them, that you would put people in their lives that could encourage them and to support them and lift them up. Lord, I pray not just this Thursday as we celebrate Thanksgiving, but Lord, each day that we would spend some time thinking about all the reasons why we have to be grateful and most importantly, that we spend time thinking about why we're to be grateful to you and for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>